Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
All right, awesome. Well, here. Oh, you're recording. Yeah, I just, I just hit it. You slick. We keep, we keep getting in conversations and going 15 minutes without recording, and we're like, crap, we should have recorded that. Yeah, I happened with Cuz this morning about eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Oh, probably should have hit the button. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Cuz is a good one. He is, man. He's a he, good, ta- he taught you about the tube call, obviously. Of oh, course. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> See, that was the fourth time I think we've had him on, or third or fourth time. And, yeah. Um, the first time I ever had him on, that was the first thing he brought up was, or we brought up with him was the, the tube call. Because, you know, me being a super green guy, like, dude, tube call, what the heck is that? That and mm-hmm. a wing bone. You're talking about, like, kind of like off-the-wall mm-hmm. calls. And, uh, dude, I've got to get one this year, a tube call, and, like, just try to run one. I want to learn how to run one for, like, yeah. locating and just trying to reach out there and touch one. So. Yeah, you know, the way I look at a tube call, and I don't I don't run one, but it's kind of like um, when you have a call that can cover greater distances, you run into kind of the law of averages, like you're reaching more turkeys potentially. Mm-hmm. And it may be that one turkey that heard it strikes that you would not have got to strike otherwise. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And especially we hunt a lot of public land, and that's probably one of the biggest deals is when you're on public land, you're trying to just find the hottest bird period. Mm-hmm. Like it, that's what you're looking for. I mean – there might be hundreds of turkeys out there, but to me, I want to try to go after the one that's the hottest, that's going to give me an opportunity yeah. to try to get them in. Uh, sometimes it's the youngest birds, who knows, but, you know, it makes for a, a fun hunt. But uh, Well, Jacob, I, I th- I th- that's a good good point and something that I've thought about for a long time and I've written articles on this about selecting the right turkey. And and not every, every morning you're going to go into it having numerous turkeys to decide between Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's going to be as easy as hey this turkey's 150 yards and these three others are half a mile away i mean it's just convenience but i always had did an article on the turkey report a few years back and it was like the hypothetical of you had eight different groups of turkeys around you which that's one of those mornings you say (laughs) ah thank you lord (laughs) Uh, but it was trying to figure out going through that process of elimination like which turkey do you go to um you know just assuming they were all and that's where you know knowing the lay of the land is is critical because uh you've got to be either where that turkey wants to be or doesn't mind going Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to be able to force that turkey to go into a different area than he's comfortable with or a bad setup. I mean, that's that's the sort of things that I learned early on, that the setup is so critical. Um, and, and you're basically wanting the path of least resistance and some someplace he's comfortable going. Um, but figuring out the, the hottest one is a lot of times, you know, if I can hear two or more turkeys together mm-hmm. and they're gobbling good on the ground and you can hear kind of that, yep. you know, a couple of them together. Buddy, <laughs> those are my boys. <laughs> well, awesome. My boys. I was going to say, maybe we ought to do a little uh, introduction to everybody here. Um, of course, you have uh, me, the ginger bow hunter, Jacob Myers himself. We've got <laughs> Andrew Maxwell, of course, here. And then we have David Holly. Holly. you got to say it real Holly. southern. Holly. Holly. Yeah, because how, how do you spell that? H-A-W-L-E-Y. H-A-W-L-E-Y. Holly. That's I what, like it. That's what I'm talking about, yeah. dude. That, Everybody that, tries to say David Holly. That's what no, I said. it's Holly. No, that's what I said earlier. Holly. I was like, Holly? He was like, who's Holly? Like Holly? a Holly tree. Yeah. So, dude, we appreciate you coming on for this Man, episode. Man, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, David, for anyone that doesn't know David, which previously I didn't know you, but I knew the strip, I mean, I knew the uh, the Wild Turkey Report. Right, right. Which is, I think a lot, I mean, y'all have a pretty significant following, especially on Instagram, about that. And um, you have a blog and everything for that that y'all have been running for, you know, how many years Gosh, now? 2000. 12 i think was the first year mm-hmm. yeah and it, it's been a lot of fun i mean <clears throat> i was telling you before that 
essentially, you know, I, I have my born and hunts and things like that, but as soon as I get on there, I see what we've been tagged in, and it's kind of, I can keep up with what's going on around the country, you yeah. know, and, and seeing the good, the bad, the ugly, and, and yeah. feeling like I'm, I'm part of other people's hunts, you know, so it, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's something we've been at for a long time, and uh, we've had a, had a blast doing it. And the people you meet, I mean, that's the coolest thing about this whole sport. I mean, there's folks in, in that I have honestly never met, but text mm-hmm. back and forth all the time about turkey hunting. And I mean, you just you kind of build a rapport of people that you know you you learn stuff from, and you know, or, or uh, become buddies. I mean, it's that's and then you get to see a lot of them here, so that's it's a cool mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, that's one thing we love about NWTF, and we talked about quite a bit is just how many people are here that you may not see the rest mm-hmm. of the year, and this is the one place where you can go and really reconnect with people that you've talked to in the past mm-hmm. and also meet new people like yourself like meeting you this time is pretty awesome because again we're so i'm familiar so much with your instagram account and everything you've done with that that when my buddy matt told me about you today he's like oh you need to go yeah. you know, introduce yourself to dave and dave and try to get him on and i'm like we got to do that so i'm, I'm glad i need <laughs> well yeah. i'm honored to be here i mean i, I i'm just a guy that loves to hunt turkeys but yep. more than that i just love turkeys i mean you know i, I told somebody that if they were to you know ever Closed down hunting season, I'd still go out there and hear them gobble. I mean, it's just nothing like it in the world. They're the greatest creation, you know, other than, than humans that God ever created, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just – I have a lot of respect. I mean, I've, I've been blessed. You know, our, our family has a farm in West Alabama, and, I mean, I, I I managed as hard as I can for wild turkeys. I mean, I trap, I burn. That's all part of the sport for me. Yeah, It's not just the March 16th to April 30th yep. sitting down turkey hunt. It's – all the other stuff that comes along with the sport, the camaraderie, this event here, and um, you know, I, I just I'm, I'm fortunate through the Turkey Report. I feel like I have a big platform to be able to share what's good about turkeys and, yep. and things that we need to be doing for the future of the sport. Exactly, and you know, another thing we didn't mention, but you also work for Mossup Properties, right? Yeah, which is kind of fascinating. And really, I didn't know much about it until you and me talked a little earlier about what Mossup Properties does and how you guys really start opening up franchises and having right. people work with Yeah, them. that's my job that pays, yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> Turkey Report doesn't pay anything yeah. but love yeah. and, and enjoyment. <laughs> but, no, uh, yeah, yeah, I've been with Mossier Properties for, gosh, let's see, uh, going on 11 years now and, and, and director of new business there. And, and basically, you know, what we are is, I guess you'd say, kind of like a, you know, a real estate franchise like your Emax C21s, companies like that. But our offices specialize in in, in rural and real you know uh, recreational real estate. Uh, we've got about a hundred offices in in 27 states now. So it's uh, but it, the, meet so many cool people from across the country that are just uh, you know good folks and making those relationships too. But you know we're um, very fortunate you know to work with Mossy Oak and and you know we all just passionate about i've got a, a busy month of business meetings coming up i try to get all my clients to come in before march 16th <laughs> because i try to tell everybody in the office like look i'm gonna be out of pocket until about 10 o'clock and then i'll answer your emails and call you back so that's my one time <laughs> of the year you know <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah baby march 16th so so what part of alabama are you from i, I live over in west central alabama i actually live in the same town as bob walker so you oh know, okay just, okay yeah, okay we i've known bob all my life and um you know bob's been a big influence on me and uh so yeah it's it's a cool part of the world it's an area that really is kind of um i guess you'd say kind of a blue blood area when it comes to turkey hunting you know just mm-hmm. 
it's part of our fabric and culture where mm-hmm. we're at. And, um, you know, a lot of really good turkey hunters have either, you know, spent time in the woods there or either live there. And so mm-hmm. um, it's uh, a great place to be, you know, if you are a passionate turkey hunter. Absolutely. So what, what kind of, I mean, I guess you probably grew up turkey hunting in that region. Yeah, you know, my dad, um, I'm actually, uh, I guess you'd say, let me think, a fourth generation turkey hunter. Uh, we were fortunate there where we are to to have turkeys, you know, back even in the, you know, the kind of dark ages in the 30s and 40s when numbers really dipped. Um, and so my great-grandfather hunted, my grandfather hunted, and now my, my dad and then, then me. Um, but my dad, uh, he actually grew up, so my mom is, is from Livingston, and my dad actually grew up in Tuscaloosa and had a guy that kind of, you know, mentored him. And so he grew up in the days there around Tuscaloosa when you could just knock on doors and people let you hunt. Um, and he grew up hunting on the National Forest land too. And anyway, so he, he guided in college at Westervelt Lodge and, you know, did competition calling. And then um, so I had a great mentor, mm-hmm. um, you know, and learned a lot about, how to hunt turkeys and, you know, set up on turkeys and calling and all that. And, and I just, I did a lot of it by osmosis too. I mean, I was a, I was a student of the game. I, I was not one of these kids that was very good at athletics. And, you know, I just uh, always had kind of a passionate personality. And so when, when, when the bug caught me, I'd say about, you know, when I was eight or nine, you know, I was watching every old Primos and Night in Hell VHS and reading old magazines and, you know, I just became – that was kind of my my passion and addiction then, you know, became that. So, anyways, it was a um, – it's just been a part of who I am. And, um, you know, I've got a deep appreciation for those that have come before us, you know, and have blazed a trail. Mm-hmm. Well, especially like guys like Bob. <clears throat> we just had him on. And he's such a great guy when it comes to just being relatable but also someone that wants to continue to teach people <laughs> – no matter what stage in their hunting career they're at. Yeah. And he always has something that's very um, knowledgeable. And that's one thing that I really like, especially, you know, him being another Alabama guy. We're all from Alabama. Mm-hmm. So just having all these Alabamians up here that's just having a blast. And, again, going back to the whole thing of, uh, you know, NWTF and meeting people like yourself that come – and everyone has different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. You know, some people like you kind of were brought up in a turkey hunting culture – while others like myself, that was not a thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's like this. It's it's really cool to see where people are at in their you know professional career, along with their you know hunting career, mm-hmm. and seeing what overlines and what overlaps with what's going on, and kind of what goals, like say I would like to set, mm-hmm. you know, as a, a newer turkey. You know, like I told right. you earlier, uh, to compare to like what you've been doing, yeah, and just kind of see like what kind of goals can I set going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing that I think you have done great is be relatable on social media with the mm-hmm. Wild Turkey Report. You, you're posting, and all the photographers that you're, you know, working with oh, and everything yeah. else are, do a great job documenting wild turkeys in their natural habitat mm-hmm. and what they're really acting like. And it really gives somebody like myself, like, something to kind of look at and just like, man, that's beautiful. I, I really want to go hunt something like that. And it's really cool how you guys document that and be able to put that out there. Yeah, and, and it's, I mean, a lot of credit, you know, and if any of them are listening, gosh, I can't thank y'all photographers enough because man there's some good ones out there and just you don't see a whole lot of um i mean some people honestly probably think it's a bird page because mm-hmm. i mean we're we're posting about the wild turkey yeah. and i mean um now y'all if you're on twitter y'all follow me on twitter this spring because I, I do a lot of late night ramblings you know and i'm kind of got insomniac about 
you know, missing turkeys and stuff like that. But, uh, but no, I just – we always wanted the Wild Turkey Report to be about, you know, educating folks, uh, inter, you know, connecting with folks and making it as much about the turkey as possible. Mm-hmm. Didn't want it to be about us. I mean, there's people that, you know, you probably had no clue what I looked like or who, who I really was until then. And that's, that's yeah. by design because yeah. I'm, I don't like, you know, I, I don't want to be thought of as, you know um, – anybody of importance in the I'm just a guy that just loves turkeys and turkey hunting so um I appreciate your comments on that because that's really what we've tried to make it about is the turkey itself yeah so oh we got the SWAT team outside about to break in on us hey good (laughs) (laughs) awesome some fella just poked his head in the media room and I don't know what he said but he, he said, hello, hello. <laughs> How are you doing? Gosh. Um, but, but Jacob, the, yeah. the cool thing is, and that's something that, you know, uh, I've, I've learned and I've always tried to preach this to folks. Like, you, you, you know, always be teaching folks, but always be willing to be taught. Yep. You're never, ever, ever going to learn everything there is to learn about turkeys hunting mm-hmm. because every turkey's different, every situation's different every day. Uh, it, it's just – you're, what you try to learn is basically enough about the bird, their habits, what drives them, a, a woodsmanship, calling all that to just put yourself in as good a position as possible yeah. because that's really all you're, you're doing. It's just, I mean, statistically speaking, when you step foot in the woods, I mean, your odds are pretty low. I mean, you take Alabama. I mean, for instance, we got, what, 46 days, to, for, I guess 45 days this year mm-hmm. to hunt, and they give you a five-bird limit, you know, which is very generous compared to a lot of states. So they're basically saying that, statistically speaking, if you were to kill your limit, you know, you're going to have, what, 18% chance of, of killing a bird? What's one out of nine? I'm not good with math. Oh. That's my University Andrew. of Alabama oh, gra- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> diploma there. But, but statistically speaking, I mean, you just, you know, it's, it's a, a low percentage of killing a turkey, and so – um, I just, I think that, you know, folks that try to think that they have it all figured out or whatever, buddy, they better brace themselves because humble pie is coming. Yep. <laughs> well, and like one thing we talk about all the time is, you know, there's a statistic I heard, I forgot where I heard it, but I do believe that 90% of the animals like turkeys, deer, mm-hmm. whatever, are killed by 10% of the hunters, especially on public land. Mm-hmm. Cause there are guys and women out there that have had it, got it down and they are just true killers, but they really know and understand the animal. That's the biggest thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're all, I guarantee you, good woodsmen. Yep. Woods women. I mean, it, it's um, you give me somebody that you know knows that turf like the back of their hand and can get, especially get tight with turkeys on the limb. You know, where they're getting within a hundred yards of turkeys and things like that. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, um. That's probably been the biggest thing I've tried to learn the last few years is, like, getting as close as I can without spooking them and things like that. Because, like, last year, and I love to call. I mean, my, my happy place is power calling, cutting, and running, and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I think the three, you know, th- three turkeys I killed last year in Alabama were uh, – I yelped a combined total of eight times. But I was I was tight with them. I mean, I got, you know, within 70, 80 yards, mm-hmm. and that's all it took you know, to get them in gun range. But, um, but yeah, you're exactly right. On public land, you know, it, it's it's a lot about woodsmanship and, yep. and knowing those turkeys and what their habits are. And that's kind of our background. So 
we, we hunt quite a bit of public land. Uh, this is one thing that we kind of got into. I got into it a little bit later than Andrew did. He's been doing it for much longer than me. I've been doing it for about five years now and sh- almost strictly the last two years. Mm-hmm. And it's just because there's so many opportunities. You can go across state lines. You can hunt. Yeah. Like we're hunting Georgia, Alabama, and Tennessee mm-hmm. this year, hitting some public land. But the thing is, is when you're hunting public land, you got to deal with all these other hunters. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're dealing with a lot of other things that you got to overcome adversity, which yeah. I think makes you a better outdoorsman. Oh, yeah. When you can kind of not only understand the animal, but understand how other hunters are hunting and put yourself in the right position to really make something happen, mm-hmm. especially on highly educated birds. Alabama birds, man, we, we talk about them all the time. We get after them in Alabama. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, well, also, we, we talk about, man, they're born with a Ph.D. in a flat jacket because they're yeah. hard to kill. Yeah, yeah they are. told me that. They are. They, they've been hunted since, you know, the Mayflower came over. <laughs> so, I mean, it, they just naturally have it bred into them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've really changed the way I hunt a lot last few years, and I'm hunting, you know, I mean, 100%. I'm very fortunate, 100% private land, but, mm-hmm. you know, pressure's pressure, you yeah, know, when no, you, absolutely. you know, and, and we really have, you know, our habitat's really changing in West Alabama. We have a pretty robust timber industry, and you just constantly have, you know, clear cuts and stuff that's just really unusable from hunting standpoint, from, you know, something that's a three- and four-year-old clear cut. It's not really a whole lot of good for hunting turkeys, but um, I've learned because of some of the circumstances we've been faced to be more low air impact you yep. know and that's probably something bob touched on because and i learned a lot of that from him bob's hunting bent creek you know he's 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 got the same territory you know he's pretty much hunting you know with clients every day um and he's having to be more low impact in yep. what he does um and so i'm because i'm hunting a lot of times hunting the same turkeys throughout the balance of the year I, i'm one that um I don't try to press things the first of the season as much as I used to because, reality speaking, that's a very tough time to kill turkeys. I mean, you got these big groups of turkeys that you'll have 15 in, and they've got piles of hens. and Nothing more hard to kill than hen up turkey. I mean, it really is dang near impossible to kill a a hen up gobbler because he's got what he wants, and you're just another hen. Mm -hmm. I mean, really. Um, I really – I try to, and, 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 I, and I learned something from Dave, too, on the Penhody Project because that's kind of how they approached their first week of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they got to a point where they got in that water turkeys and broke off that satellite turkey and ended, Chubbs ended up killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had, even on public land, had not tried to force the issue with this group of turkeys. They knew where this group of turkeys was. Mm-hmm. They were pretty confident that – you know, because they were so far back that they were the only ones in there. Mm-hmm. And they, they said, look, we're going to kill these turkeys when they're right to be killed. Yep. And there's a lot to be said for that because, you know, I used to try to force things and probably burn turkeys out, moved them off the place and stuff instead of just kind of slowly waiting and, and you know, then when I realized, hey, they're by themselves, they're hot, kill them, yep. you know. Mm-hmm. And we've definitely done that in the past. I know we've done that, <clears throat> no, yeah. especially first couple of weeks of season. Like you said, you know, you're having, especially you're having gobblers grouped. They're not separated yet. Yeah. So yeah. you're getting on, a, you're getting on, you know, a group of two, three, four, five birds, mm-hmm. all gobblers. They're all gobbling. It's opening day. You've heard like 300 gobblers. You're like, let's get them. Yeah, but you go, yeah. in, but they're not at, to me, in the situations we've had hunting public land in Alabama, a lot of times they're just not ready to come into it. They're not. They're not driving. There's no drive with them mm-hmm. right now. They're just trying. They're all grouped up right now. And the last thing they could care about, I think, is breeding. So you're trying to go in there and you're trying to. Really, what we found out was you're trying to just get in front of the birds. You're mm-hmm. trying to figure out when they hit the ground, which way they're going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And try to get in front of them and try to have some luck like that. Just because, like you said, you do try to go in there and push hard. Mm-hmm. Man, you can push my public, even if you had. 
15,000 acres, push them off the side of property, go on some public, they're on private land, and you're, you're stuck. Yeah. Um, and we've had that situation happen to us. So mm-hmm. that's a good thing. Now, w- when you're hunting like that on your property, what are you doing to try to stay as low impact as possible? I, you know, I, and everyone's a little bit different about this. I, I've pretty much quit using locator calls. Mm-hmm. I just have. And I've, I've, you know, I've gotten where um, I know my place well enough and, you know, how to access, you know, different areas where turkeys are going to be, you know, and, and how to use areas they're not um, to try to access those places. Um, you know, I don't hunt as much in the afternoons as I used to. I think that's just marriage has <laughs> done that to me. Um, but... <laughs> You know, that, that's probably something that I've done a little bit more in, lower impact. And, and also, I mean, when I feel like I'm in a good position, I'm not going to just hammer a turkey just to hear him gobble. I mean, um, you know, it's like I said, the, 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 the turkeys I killed last year, I mean, I just hardly yelled. But I was in the right position. And once they answered me, I kind of went, you know, old school on them and just – that was it. Yeah, just zipped it? Yeah, just zipped it. So, anyways, but it's – and I also I mean a lot of times I'll sit there you know especially when it's there there's that section of the season you know where you kind of have worked through the breeding cycle and you're starting to get these solo gobblers I mm-hmm. mean that's where you can really if you don't mess it up you can really you know have those days where you 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 and your buddies you know go bam 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 and kill turkeys for four or five days straight yep. um especially those years you have a lot of two-year-olds and so what I've I guess try to do is, you know, just just really be, you know, cognizant of the fact that, you know, the, that breakout's coming. Yeah, wait until it gets good. Just wait until it gets good, you know, and not try to not try to burn them out then, you know, too early. So, anyways, but I've I've just um a lot of times I'll I'll sit up on a hillside, you know, uh and just listen for 15 minutes before I even think about casting a call. Mhm. So, well, I think that's a good topic to kind of talk about is Sometimes in some situations, especially if you've got a good piece of public or a good piece of private that, first of all, it's a decent amount of property, maybe, you know, anywhere from a couple hundred acres to a thousand acres or bigger, that, first of all, it's you and maybe a couple of buddies and y'all can kind of wait or kind of watch what the birds are doing and wait to that good spot. Because mm-hmm. you're right, once they split up like that, man, they they totally change. Oh, yeah. They go from like one of the skittiest. It's like the whitetail rut. Yeah. yeah. They go yeah. from like one of the skittiest <clears throat> birds to get on to literally, especially like when you have a bunch of two-year-olds. You can get on them hot like that. And I've yeah. seen a lot of guys on public that get that. They get, you know, get starting getting to April, and those birds are starting to split up, and they're covering ground, and you just get in the right spot at the right time, and you can get birds coming on you. Oh, yeah. And, again, as long as you don't miss, yeah, be good. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It, there's a lot to be said for that. So, it, I mean, really, it, and I understand when you're public and you're competing with other hunters, it's hard to take that approach unless you're able to get, like, way off back in the in, – in, you know, there's a lot of areas, especially in Alabama and Georgia, where you can, if you put in the shoe leather, can get way off from, from the crowd. But, um, you know, it's just um, – and, and a lot of times, tur- people, at least our turkeys, I don't know about other places, man, our turkeys move around a lot. You know, especially if you got a bunch of two-year-olds, and I've always kind of felt like these two-year-olds are almost like pinballs, you know. I mean, they're, they're bouncing around into other big turkeys' territories, you know, these older birds, and, and getting whipped and – and so your your two year olds when you get in kind of that breakout phase, so mm-hmm. to speak, I mean they're going to move around and cover a lot of ground. Yeah. Um, so you got to you got to figure out you know how hard you want to push it as far as covering ground, you know, and catching up with them because I mean they, you know, I've I've literally heard them coming down. You know, I've got a river behind my, my on our farm that they basically use as their highway, and I mean I'll I'll hear them gobble, you know, work their way down the span of a you know a, a mile mm-hmm. in one morning. 
you know, just yeah. looking, cruising, looking for hens. Now, if you get in front of them, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> and I bet, because, again, you can have a lot of birds come by you. Now, one thing I'd like to talk to you about a little bit, and you, we kind of touched on this earlier, is just what are you doing for habitat improvement that really helps set the odds for, first of all, having better pulp numbers yeah. in pulp habitat, but also having better numbers of you know, those animals surviving to maturity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, turkeys are – Turkeys are at the, I mean, gosh, they're just, it's amazing that they even survive, you know, with all the predators in the woods that there are. Yeah, because really, I mean, when a hen's, you know, there's 28 days that she's, you know, laying eggs and sitting, and and I believe it's 28 days. And then there's a a period once they hatch of about, you know, two weeks that they're they're vulnerable to, you know, uh, uh, coyotes, bobcats, foxes, birds of prey. Um, So... They're, it's really amazing that turkeys ever survive. And, and you know, across across the southeast, at least from what we're hearing and what we're seeing, there is some concern that there are um, regional declines. Um, you know, and don't get me wrong, y'all have probably hunted places that things have stayed the same for the last 15 years. I've got tracks in, in West Alabama that you can still go and hear eight or ten turkeys in the morning. Um, you know, my, my personal farm has not been like that because – in my opinion, you know, uh, it's there's a lot of broad scale habitat changes, yep. a lot of a lot of timber cutting. You know, I mean, you know, when your neighbor cuts 800 acres of old growth hardwoods, that's going to impact your turkeys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what I've tried to focus on on the farm is is predator control um, and then habitat enhancement, and they both go hand in hand. It doesn't. It's not an either or proposition. Uh, there's a lot of folks that when I bring up predator control, like, well, you need to do habitat too. Well, we do. We do, we prescribe burn and. You know, we do chufa patches and clover and, you know, try to tr- try to offer a full cornucopia of, of habitat for these turkeys. Mm-hmm. But um, trapping is something that anyone can do. Mm-hmm. Even people on, you know, public land can, can trap. Yep. Um, you know, people that have a hunt lease, they may not can burn. Their landowner may say, no, you're not burning, or it may be a timber company. They say, no. So you everyone can trap. Mm-hmm. And... I really have focused on the last several years on on what I call nest predators, your raccoons, your your possums, your skunks, because that's really when when you think about it, that's when they're most vulnerable. Yeah. When they're laying there as an egg, they're helpless. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're literally at the at the mercy of the habitat you've created, you know, to create adequate nesting cover and the hen, mm-hmm. and and just the good fortune of something not stumbling across them and eating them. So. Um, I've over the last, gosh, three years probably caught, you know, several hundred, you know, coons and possums and uh, some skunks, <laughs> which that's always an adventure. But <laughs> anyway, it's just – and I've enjoyed it. I mean, that's the thing about it. It's, it's been fun and rewarding, and yeah. I feel like I'm making a difference, um, you know, and, and I feel like, you know, we're going to have a, a, a true breakout in poult numbers soon because um, – you know, if like I said, if it all starts, I mean, you, you can't kill a turkey two years later if it was never hatched mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or was eaten as a poult. Yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. And that's one thing, you know, while hunting public land that we've seen spurts of, I, I believe I see spurts of poults, but then it's like trying to, I, I would love to see numbers of how mm-hmm. many get killed, which I'm sure there's studies out there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's actually some studies now, um, you know, and I, I have had some notes with me earlier, but um, South Carolina's doing a, a bunch of studies. Um, Mississippi's doing studies. Uh, Alabama, of course, is doing studies. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, on, on trying to determine, you know, what are some of these causes of these broad scale declines? And, yeah. and, and I just want to say this, don't, you know, this isn't a reason, you know, to panic and quit hunting or anything like that. It's just understanding that, you know, our world is changing. You know, things are getting more developed and there's habitat changes. And, you know, we're obviously living a, uh, in the southeast where the timber industry does change habitat. And, you know, I don't know that the days of, of being able, as especially as a private landowner and, and, and uh, someone that can manage land, um, I think there's things we all need to be doing, you know, to ensure that this sport, and these turkeys continue, yeah. you know, to pass on. But uh, these studies that have been coming out have shown that um, over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, they've been doing uh, pult, late summer poult observations, um, that the poult per hen numbers have been declining pretty dramatically. Um, and what, what that means is they go out there and every time they see a hen, you know, if it didn't have a, a, a poult, they put them in the study. If it had poults, how many did it have? And they're finding that of the the, whole, the hens that they've seen, um, basically these numbers are, are dipping below 2.0. And biologically speaking, they say that uh, if a population has is is consistently coming in at you know 2.0 or, or or excuse me 2.1 or above, that the population is growing in that area, even if it's incrementally. If it's below that, then it's in decline. And so I think a lot of the question centers around is what's happening to these yeah. recruitment rates that we're having. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's – I think there's a lot of different factors. That's the thing. It's not like it's one thing. Um, but when when you've got such high predation rates on, on nest, I think you've got to start looking at your, your nest predators uh, and your habitat you're creating for nesting yeah. because – I, I'd like to see this, and 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 I'm not, I'm not hammering on the timber industry because I'm a timberland owner and I love the timber industry and what it creates for our economy, but that that world has been changing. I mean, you're you're, uh, and I don't know how familiar you are or the listeners at home about the timber industry, but it is the biggest industry in the state of Alabama and a lot of other southeastern states, and uh, it's gotten more and more production driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, your clear cuts have, have, in my eyes at least, have gotten larger. And I'd like to see mm-hmm. what the average clear cut size is over yeah. the last, you know, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And because we've the machinery's gotten more efficient and that's created more fragmentation, lack of connectivity, things like that. And uh, also a lot of people have gotten away from prescribed burning uh, and because of liability and other things. And so... You're, cre- you're, you're basically having these larger areas that there's just less an ideal habitat than what we had 20, 30 years ago. Maybe mm-hmm. it's cyclical. I, I, I hope to believe it is. But um, I just remember, gosh, being a kid in the places that we hunted, and a lot of it was even timber company land. They just were better tracks than what we've got right now. At least mm-hmm. on that, at least that's what I experienced. Now, not everyone's like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of what y'all are hunting on public land is just, pristine because it's it's designed to be kept that way Mm -hmm. um but i know in west alabama there's a lot of areas that are just lacking turkey habitat and there's no diversity when it comes to you know especially when it comes to habitat change because it's all now lobolly pines yeah it's a monoculture yeah yeah yeah, exactly there's no edges this part of the country is like our thing is pulpwood we Mm -hmm. produce more pulpwood than any other part of the country and uh so when when you're speaking in terms of like producing pulpwood, you're like talking smaller 
smaller diameter trees. So mm-hmm. normally like 10 or below diameter breast height trees is what gets turned into pulpwood, which is like paper, like cardboard, yeah, all cardboard diaper sort of stuff. fluff, yeah. stuff like that. And uh, what a lot of people don't realize about like their hunting leases, I've talked to you about this, is, you know, like these, these timber companies, like you said, they're not managing for hunters. They're managing for timber. No, they're mm-hmm. not managing the habitat for anything. Yeah, ex- exactly. Like, like uh, I see a lot of guys that get like real upset with their hunting clubs because they're they're cutting too much, which I agree with. I mean, like a five hundred acre clear cut is yeah huge. That, that's well, and two, you know, you think about the fi- those, that five hundred acres. Um, I mean, what if that was a well managed pine plantation that got burned every couple of years that had adequate nesting? Uh, when you create basically these large clear cuts uh, that that essentially at some point in that rotation, they're going to become devoid of turkey habitat. Mm-hmm. And so your hens are going to essentially nest on the edge, which increases edge predation. Yep. If that, say, let's just say you had an 80-acre block that, that you managed for, for turkeys that once you thinned it two years later, you went in there and in mid-rotation burned it, you know, every couple of years, it's going to have quality nesting throughout. Mm-hmm. Turkey's going to be able to continue to use that. So your your predatory, you know, effectiveness where that predator is going to be able to basically go in there and, you know, find a nest is going to go down because she can nest virtually anywhere in there. Mm-hmm. All right. When that's, uh, you know, nothing but a briar thicket and she can't penetrate that and she's basically, you know, nesting right on the edge of the road and things like that. Uh-huh. That that coon or possum is going to be able to just walk right down that road and and find that nest. Mm-hmm. And so, I think there's a lot of that going on now. What what percentages of that sort of scenario is the the problem? I don't know, yeah. but um, I, I think a lot of it too is the the fact that uh, a lot of people have just gotten away from prescribed burning, and that yeah. that's a big problem in my opinion because fire fire is a part of this ecosystem. It is, it is, and and it's one of the best things you can do for turkeys. I mean, we're on a, a rotation. I mean, we're I'm about half pyromaniac. I mean, I absolutely <laughs> love to burn. It's Aren't one of my all? favorite things to do to manage for wild turkeys, and uh, it it basically takes habitat that is less than ideal for turkeys and creates very ideal habitat, you know, if you get on a rotation mm-hmm. because, you know, you take something that is thick and chock full of briars and things like that, and if you're able to clean that up, you know, then they, they can go in there and forage, you know, because that understory gets released for new growth, and then as that growth grows up, it becomes great nesting habitat. Mm-hmm. And so you you just have g- given those turkeys more of a holding, you know, uh, the, the, I guess, carrying capacity of your property mm-hmm. has increased. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and there's prescribed fire, like you were talking about, it's one of the cheapest things you can do, too, to manage mm-hmm. your land. And there's some people that are scared to burn, and then there's other people who think it's not a good thing. Well, Andrew, it's something that, as I always say, I mean, you don't watch a YouTube video and go learn how to burn. I mean, yeah. you, you need to – there's steps because it is dangerous. Yeah. And it's it's risky, and there's liability and things like that. And, you know, I mean, always – go through the proper steps, you know, with learning how to burn, shadowing a forester, learning conditions and how all that, because it, 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 we have been, you know, we're, we're very, I mean, I live by our farms by an interstate. And so we have to watch smoke and all that. We, we burn on the absolute right days, but we try to knock out. I mean, we, we work all day long. We drop yeah. what we're doing and we go burn. But um, it's not something that somebody needs to just say, Oh, I'm going to burn today. 
Mm-hmm. And heaven forbid, if you got a hunting lease, don't don't do it without your landowner's permission. <laughs> oh gosh, so, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> but it, it's something that if you do it right and know what you're doing, <clears throat> and, and and manage your your smoke and your intensity and have the the right conditions, man, it it is absolutely one of the best things you mm-hmm. know you can do. A cool season burn is is perfect. Now, there's a lot of debate about warm season burns. I don't I don't really like growing season burns personally because uh, and I know that they're good from a uh, timber management understory you know if you got a lot of sweet gums and stuff that come back because it, fire intensity gets such that it'll kill all that off but you got you got turkeys nesting out there I mean it's mm-hmm. just I'm not gonna oh yeah it scares me to death about burning up you know even one nest mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah there's there's a big controversy going on you know Talladega National Forest yeah there those late late turkey season burns mm-hmm. like they're burning in like april and may yeah and a lot of them are pretty high intensity fires so yeah. i don't really know what's going on over there we should have an episode on it honestly with my buddy wayne lackey and all those guys they they know a lot more about it but it's just an interesting subject yeah, I like it, talking it about absolutely fire. is and i i just love talking about habitat management and all that stuff because i think we all need to as as passionate people about turkey hunting and turkeys in general need to just like you know back in the 80s and 90s we all started being more aware of you know farming for deer mm-hmm. and, and basically becoming becoming gamekeepers and stewards of the wildlife for deer in particular you know we all mm-hmm. became you know the QDMA came around yep. and you know let it grow let him grow so he uh let him mm-hmm. go so he can grow and mm-hmm. things like that and i think we just all need to understand that um turkeys are are pretty low down the food chain and they're not we're not guaranteed tomorrow with them and i'm not i'm not trying to fear monger anyone into this but the good thing is that if you've got dips in your numbers if you have a bumper crop or two in a row buddy you're right back in the game I mean, they can be prolific mm-hmm. it's just their proficiency is definitely aided by things we can do to yeah. help mm-hmm. yeah and events like this like just like I love this is another reason I love NWTF so much is because you get around here and you get around people who are so enthusiastic about turkeys and turkey hunting and managing turkeys and turkey conservation. It 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 makes you feel good about the future because it seems like and I think it was cuz we were talking to about this. It's you know hunter numbers are kind of on the decline right now, mm-hmm. but it just seems like turkey hunting is just, you know, kind of yeah. clicking up and up every year. Yeah. And especially at this event, you come here and it is mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of people that are here, just the whole atmosphere, it makes you feel good yeah, about the it's, future. Yeah, it's great to see, absolutely. You know, and it's, uh, you know, I, I just, I want people to, you know, and I'm not trying to be a, you know, a, a preacher on the pulpit or whatever. We all need to understand it's not just about killing turkeys. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of people can go out there and kill turkeys, but, you know, we also need to understand as much as you love that rush of, you know, pulling the trigger on one, that, that rush of raising them should also be something mm-hmm. because that's what's going to leave a legacy for future generations, making sure because, man, there were – there's you know, I just go through this hallway and I see folks that I know have been involved in the NWTF for a long time and, and, and just conservation in general. Mm-hmm. I just go and thank every one of them because, you know, we, we dang near lost this resource years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they were, as Tom Kelly said, you know, uh, they they were just about, you know, gone from us, mm-hmm. and we didn't even realize it. Yep. So, um, and it's, 
again, I'm not – anything I said about declines and things like that, we, it's not fear-mongering. It's, there is some reality to it. Um, it's just we need to, to counter those things with, you know, the, the proper management things. And, and it's, it's something that I think we are all up for the challenge for. Yeah, you know, another thing I've heard of when it comes to this, the habitat for turkeys is, you know, any time you can focus on your property to be good turkey and quail habitat, because it all rolls together, yeah. it makes great deer habitat, too. Yeah, it does. It's an umbrella species. And, and, a, and a, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize that. people, A lot of people, because of QDMA and everything else, want to try to set their property up for deer hunting, mm-hmm. where if instead they set it up more for turkeys and, and quail, it would benefit the deer even that much more. Yeah, yeah, it, it, absolutely. I mean, it, they, they all are symbiotic, and they use the same, the, the good habitat is good throughout. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, some of the best uh, turkey habitat in the entire country is in South Georgia where the owners plantations, you know, the quail plantations. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And they're covered up with turkeys down there, you know. <laughs> I mean, absolutely covered up. But they, they manage they manage for them. Yep. You know, they predator control and habitat control and, you know, there's uh, burning. So, I mean, it's just they've created uh, the right diversity mm-hmm. mix. So it's, uh, yeah, but you're exactly right. It, it's not, it does not have to be one or the other. You can do them for, that benefits every, everything. Exactly. Because I've heard guys like, you know, they're trying to put all this work into, you know, TS is TSI timber stand improvement mm-hmm. for like yeah. deer habitat and everything else, but they're trying to focus on deer habitat and you know they're doing a lot of hinge cutting of trees and this and that instead of trying to focus more so on trying to get more native grasses and everything else to kind of come through that again makes for a great habitat for nesting along with just of uh, you know feeding for the turkeys because the thing you know a lot of guys you know they just plant I get a great example there's a lot of I know a lot of clubs out there where it's like family-owned land and they just, you know, have a big club on it, where all they do for turkeys is they just plant food plots, which is great, mm-hmm. but they do absolutely nothing with the timber. Mm-hmm. And it's like you go around and everything's like a wasted barren... Uh, uh, <coughs> it's wide open. Yeah, barren, yeah. barren wasteland. But then you get to the fields and they have beautiful fields and they're like, well, we did this for turkeys because mm-hmm. I've, I've seen this happen in Alabama before. I go, oh, you know, we see turkeys there now, but they just won't stay here. They just, you know, they're, they're covering the ground and they might have, you know, 1,200 acres. It's just like they don't have anything else there other than a, you know, food plot that's really bringing them in. Yeah. And I think that's huge because I think, like you said, you know, if you had the right habitat and everything there, you could actually hold a lot of resident birds there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And bring birds over too. Yeah. It, it's that's one thing. Back to the monoculture we talked about. You know, the the fact is, and I I live on a road that's headed to a timber mill, and I I see hardwood pulpwood headed down the road all the time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've we've gotten where you know a lot of the the hard and, and look pine pulp grows faster. I mean, you know, especially when you're managing for pulp, you're on a shorter rotation like a lot of these companies are, and you know, it's 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 cheaper to grow them and it's faster than planting it back in hardwoods. Um, you know, uh, so we've we've gotten less and less of mature hardwood stands, uh, especially where I'm at. Um, yeah, it's the same case where I'm from. Yeah, central Alabama. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's just um, you know you can just grow a pine tree faster, and so they're taking stuff that had been in upland, you know, mixed pine hardwood, you know, SMZs and you know creek bottoms and hardwoods and and they're planting back in, in pine. So, yeah. anyways, it's and I, I I've hunted places that have been uh, well managed pine plantation country, and it's some of the, some of the best stuff you can have yep. if it's managed properly. Exactly, and that's one thing. You know, I, I remember I remember back in high school, I had a biology my, one of my biology teachers. He was always like, "Oh man, nothing lives in pine plantation. Like you, you there's no deer habitat." Now, he was not a hunter by no means, but he was a big outdoors when it came to like hiking and crap mm-hmm. like that. And anyways, he. 
he always would say there's you know deer habitat is not great in pine plantations and i was like well, clearly you have not been to a, a well-managed pine plantation because mm-hmm. it's some of the best deer habitat turkey habitat period yeah i mean yeah. it's unbelievable and it's like it amazes me where a lot of people think that only you know a large amount of wildlife can live in only hardwoods mm-hmm. that because i'm like have you ever seen an old growth forest talking to him ever seen an old growth forest kind of like the bankhead national forest mm-hmm. you get places there's nothing on the ground for mm-hmm. i mean in the dead of summer i mean you could take a 200 yard shot underneath some of those uh, hardwoods mm-hmm. down there mm-hmm. but it's like definitely cutting and timber is a good resource to use it's just like you're saying when they're being too aggressive with it they're cutting giant spans mm-hmm. expanses of property and it's just they're, they're doing it so quickly that nothing can get to the correct uh age group where you can really have sunlight penetrating through the canopy yeah. hitting the floor and be able to have that you know that native grass to grow up that's the thing we've noticed is in all places they're cutting on this public land we hunt most of it's pine you know you get some smz's that's about it mm-hmm. and they are cutting it so soon like sooner than i normally would think they would but again it's, i guess it's just for pulp wood and it's yeah. like it's just not great habitat for much of anything by then mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah there's there's an area where we uh live that's on the alabama mississippi state line that's called the flatwoods and and i would probably say that the flatwoods back in the late 90s and bob and i have actually talked about this mm-hmm. i asked him all the places he had hunted I'd say probably in the late 90s, early 2000s, the, the Flatwoods were the best, was the best eastern turkey hunting in the entire United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, 95% of it was pine plantation. Uh, it was managed differently then. They, they burned, uh, their rotations were a little bit longer, and so you had um, just, it was managed differently. It was managed for salt timber. It was on a 40-year rotation instead of a 25-year rotation. And uh, it just, it was just kind of a perfect storm. I mean, that, that area up through there then, I mean, it was, it was you know, every morning you go in here 10 or 12 turkeys, you know, it's just covered up with turkeys. Um, and so it's just really about, you know, when it comes down to, to uh, pine plantation country for, for turkeys and anything else, just when it gets, you know, of course, making sure that your rotations are such where you do have diversity and it's not all three- and four-year-old, you know, mm-hmm. cutover, head-high cutover and briar thickets, but – when it does get to that age after that first thin or whatever, where you can start managing it, having those mid rotation burns, yep. you know, doing things like that that can benefit the benefit the turkeys and other wildlife. Yeah, exactly. Now, Andrew, unless you have another topic with, with that, I'd like to try and transition a little bit over to Mossy Oak Properties and kind of what you do there mm-hmm. and how you work with, especially a lot of local reps and everything else, to be able to kind of grow what you guys are doing with that. Yeah, so our our niche really has been these independent real estate brokerages that, um, you know, you see them all across the, the, the countryside that, um, you know, they, they are a small town brokers that focuses on, you know, rural and recreational land. And essentially, um, you know, they want a bigger piece of the pie, I mm-hmm. guess, and a bigger platform. And so, you know, of course, the... The Mossy Oak brand is just, we're very fortunate. It's a very strong brand. It has a lot of awareness and trust and recognition with the consumer. And so we essentially, you know, uh, have a platform uh, for our franchises that they come in and rebrand themselves, have access to different tools and services we offer. And then uh, basically they, you know, uh, instead of being, you know, Jacob Myers Land Company, it'll be Mm -hmm. Mossy Oak Properties, Jacob Myers Land Company. So they they get just a bigger, you know, brand power sort of factor behind them um and so we've been at it for gosh 17 years now uh we got 100 brokerages across the country franchise brokerages across the country and 
see, 27 states. We got just kind of a uh, extreme. <laughs> we got three in Alaska. We got, you know, oh, all wow. the way to coastal Georgia, you know, just kind of <clears throat> spread throughout. But it's uh, – we just got really good folks. So last year our, our network closed in excess of uh, $715 million in, in in real estate sales. So it's um, – yeah, we're collectively, and it's I, I give all the praise back to our folks because they are. Uh, we've got really good folks that are good at selling land and mm-hmm. and and servicing their folks, and and just that's the cool thing about land. Like you know, we all have a dream to own rural land. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's something that I was fortunately blessed with, but I I would love to own more and and create more of a legacy for 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 my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all have a connection to rural America, and there's nothing more you know, in line with the American dream than owning your own piece of property, you know, and building it, you know, a legacy for yourself. So, yeah, agreed. And that's one thing, you know, uh, me growing up, we had a little family farm, 80 acres, but, you know, after taking a kind of step back from hunting that just to focus more on public land, just because there's more opportunity made me reappreciate people that like yourself that have property like that or have purchased property like that, that they can really kind of manage. They can do their own thing on and like you said, have something that you can give down to, you know, your kids or you know, just another generation and be able to have a place that you can take family out to and enjoy it, especially if you have a decent piece of property. I mean, there's so much you could do with it. And it's just, like you said, there's so many people want that in their life. It's like, how can they go through the steps to be able to make that happen? And, and I know that's one thing that you guys probably work with a lot is with your brokerage and, and working with all these different franchises that you guys work with to be able to kind of make that happen for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's something that a lot of people think that, and I understand, I mean, you know, we're, we're in a strong real estate market now, and it's supply and demand, and, mm-hmm. and, and yes, land is not what it was price per acre 20 years ago, but I think there's a misconception when people go to buy land that they, you know, have to have 100 acres or have to have, mm-hmm. they just need to get started. Yep. And they need to get started um, the right way. They need to come up with a priority list of what's important to them, mm-hmm. You know, what they can afford realistically, they need to, you know, really get up with a good land broker that understands, you know, the mm-hmm. financing process and all the different intricacies and can walk them through some of the pitfalls because it is a different animal than buying a house. I mean, yeah. you know, most Americans have experience of buying a house, mm-hmm. but that's where the, the similarities end right there. Yeah. Um, so, but it's, it's something that, you know, everyone needs to experience. I, I've always said this. If you could give every kid in America forty acres in a in a in a lab, mm-hmm. you know, retriever, well, that'd be all the end of all our problems in the world. So, <laughs> but, I like that. But but it's you know with us, I mean, oh, gosh, my family farms. Let's see, my great granddad bought it back in forty. You know, and I mean, my my son that's on the way will be uh, the fifth generation on the farm, and and it's. I realize that you know I have a job to do in in passing that on and mm-hmm. create a legacy for him. So I mean, it's something that keeps me up at night, quite frankly. Um, I don't take it for granted, mm-hmm. and 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 definitely, you know, that's the sort of thing you want to create is where people have a sense of place, yep. where it's something that connects people and builds memories, and and you know you always have a tie to home. Yep, and it's more than just a house and a subdivision. It's something that you know, you killed your first deer on or caught your first fish in that pond and things like that. That's that's something that we can't lose as a, as a country and a culture. Exactly, mm-hmm. and that's probably one thing that's probably wrong with the most recent generation we have, you know, passing millennials, but like Generation X or whatever they're called, and everything else is that people 
there's less and less of that around. Mm-hmm. Like, there's less and less family that have property. Like, you know, when my parents were growing up, you know, it was one of those things that it was no, it, it was not a big deal that we'd go out to the family farm or whatever, go out to the family property, and like everybody that they'd go to school with had that. And nowadays, you know, we talked about this with cuz, you know, kids these days in age, or this day and age, they can't even go to school for the most part and talk about, oh, I just killed my first deer because not, not many people, not many of their friends do that. Yeah. And it's yeah. becoming less and less common. And it, owning land, quite frankly, I feel like it's becoming less and less common, even though, you know, the market's really good right now. But it's like when you really find somebody that owns a piece of property, to me, it's outside of this, what we're in, NWTF, that's kind of hard to find a lot of people. A lot mm-hmm. of people, they just want to lease, which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with leasing. But I always say this, it's, it's, there's no guarantee it's going to be there tomorrow. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's it's not an investment, and, and nope. that's and and look, I we we lease land too to complement mm-hmm. you know our family farm, but it's you know you you're gonna put in more to what you control and own and are responsible for. Yep, and then at the very end, depending on how it goes, you f- might feel like you just got burned because you put all this time and effort in a piece of property. Maybe you've been hunting it for five, six years, and then all of a sudden prices go up or they sell the property out or whatever happens. And you know, I've I've known some people that get really upset because of situations like that from leasing land. So that'd be a good point to kind of make the investment to actually purchase your own property if you can afford it. And again, find something that, you know, would fit someone's budget because that's a German bond for sure. You'll yeah. have, like, we talked about that with the guys from the hunting ground is, you know, having some property that you could really manage and do what you really want with it Yeah. and make it yours. Yeah. And, and you just got to get started. I mean, you know, if, if all you can afford mm-hmm. is 20 acres, yep. you know, go, go out and, and get you 20 acres mm-hmm. and start building something, you know, yep. And and then you know what you've built something up and you're getting better you know financially in a better position you know then it could be something you either add to mm-hmm. with adjoining property or go out and you know and flip it and sell and get so you just got to get started and you need to start you know the right way though by you I mean land specialists exist for a reason yep. because you know we are truly you know and our network's truly land specialists yep. in what they do and so it's just important. To, to use the right advice and expertise, you know. Exactly. So. And, and know somebody that really knows what they're talking about when it comes to land and not get in a situation. I've, I've just heard of nightmare stories. Nobody I personally know, but I've heard stories of people, you know, going through a, a company that doesn't specialize in, 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 you know, selling land and just getting something that really wasn't what they were actually looking for after it was all said and done. Yeah. And, like, going with a company like yourself – that that's all y'all. I mean, y'all specialize in that, mm-hmm. and finding somebody like that that can really show them and show or show yourself what you're looking for, and again, find something that's within budget that meets what you're looking for. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Well, a good land land broker and land specialist is going to put your interest first and yep. in, in all that they do. You know, and we we pride ourselves and we always preach, you know, to folks that the client always comes first, mm-hmm. and and um. You need somebody that's a trusted advisor that's going to be able to basically say, you know, you're ready for this, you're mm-hmm. not ready for this, or this is what's within your means, or no, you don't need to look at this property yeah. because it has title issues or easement issues or something like that. So Exactly, which, again, is huge. Now, um, I think it's probably coming up on time. What are we looking like? About right at one hour. You're right getting good. I'm, You're getting I'm good. pretty good at this. I'm <laughs> saying we've had some practice this week. So Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, let's kind of go around and just do a couple of concluders. Uh, Andrew, I'll let you kind of start, start us off. Any concluding I've, thoughts? I've, this was awesome. I can't thank you enough for coming on with us. And I've been following the Wild Turkey Report for a while now, and it's cool to put a face Man, with a yeah. brand, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're, I'm honored to be here, so I'm glad we were able to hook up and do this and knock mm-hmm. it out because uh, – 
you know, I, I just I started listening to podcasts about gosh a year and a half ago and really enjoy them. And, uh, and I'm so appreciative of y'all doing this and going through this effort because there's not enough of it, especially on you know turkey hunting yep. in particular. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, dude, we appreciate guys like you guys who are so passionate about the the resource and the activity around that resource. It, it's it's part of the reason we do what we do because we're yeah. passionate about it, and it's awesome to have a conversation with someone else. A- absolutely. Like us. Well, and that's that's the cool thing about man. These birds are just I can't yeah I can't get over how awesome turkeys are. You know, and I, and I'm just so passionate about passing this legacy on for for years and years to come. So you you all just like we do at the Turkey Report have a big platform to be able to to advocate for that. So and I appreciate mm-hmm. you all you know being a voice for that no again we, we thank you david it's been a heck of a time man i, I it's been great to actually finally meet you dude i've been looking for you all day oh man <laughs> i'm just I, seriously i'm just a guy that loves turkey hunt so and, well, and it's been fortunate to to do it you know and, mm-hmm. and and meet some great people through it so well that's one thing we like about it and again meeting people like yourself again if it wasn't for the podcast there's probably we probably would have never met just because of that yeah because again you know there was no way until Matt told me earlier today that you were the one behind the Wild Turkey Report. I was like, dude, I got to get him. I'm like, I'm like where's he at? And I, like, it was just fantastic. So I, I'm going to thank my, uh, Matt after this for uh, putting us in contact with each other and also Bob Walker for helping me find yeah, you. Yeah, that's today, right. Man. But it, it's been a heck of a time. Uh, I learned a lot just about – you know, kind of your thoughts and everything when it comes to, you know, the turkey management side and really get someone that, you know – wants to talk about what's going on in timber in the timber mm-hmm. industry uh you know that's something that i think doesn't get touched on as much as it should be especially from outdoorsmen yeah uh, i mean we should be the voice of that and again to have someone like yourself that's passionate about you know your thoughts and beliefs and opinions on what's going on with that and maybe some stuff that we ought to look at changing going mm-hmm. forward that's huge so yeah can't thank you enough about that yeah well we, again it's a it's a partnership between you know us as hunters and, and managers and then those that that you know that that own land that you know we lease from and you know the the government things like that to make sure that we're we're putting our best foot forward and providing the the right you know habitat for these these wonderful creatures that we're able to you know to hunt and enjoy yeah well, that's fantastic well for all of our listeners out there uh make sure you tune into the youtube channel make sure you uh, like and subscribe to that and also make sure you like and leave us a review for the uh, podcast we really enjoy it especially if you like our content that we're being uh providing you guys especially from the nwtf from this year's uh show so once again guys hope you have a great rest of your week You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also 
how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.